Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So this is our last in the series of uh, podcasts about the book. So we're up to the final chapter of the book. That should be very exciting. Did want to lead with something, though, which is we're doing our first online workshop. So there'll be more details about it. It'll be on Friday, the 3rd of July at a time that should work for most listeners' time zones but it'll be live with us and a chance to interact with us. More information at the end of the podcast, but thought I would mention that at the beginning since it's an exciting new thing that we're trying out and doing. So, Jeffrey, what do we have to say about accountability? Well, as always in our uh, in this series, we're not going to recap everything we talk about in the book. Um, instead, we'll talk about kind of what was the story behind it, kind of going along alongside. So uh -huh. in, in the book, we do talk about you know what we mean by accountability and important principles um, but for me this was a really interesting chapter uh, i got started in the world of agile a, a very long time ago um, late 90s uh, I've, I've told this before i ended up on wards wiki uh, the first agile book that i got was probably maybe the first uh, agile book that a lot of people would still recognize which was kent beck's extreme programming explained also called the white book Yep, and and back in the early days of Agile, it's uh, it it XP Extreme Programming was really the dominant methodology. Now, I'm talking about like 2000 to 2003, 2004, something like that. When people yep. talked about Agile, that's probably what they meant. And if you listeners want to to travel back in time and read a copy, we'll have a link in the show notes to both editions. I prefer the first one. I I, I think others prefer the second. The first book, it was really a manifesto, and it really had a huge impact. Uh, and it's, it's funny because we talk about there's the uh, Agile manifesto, of course, but the 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 idea of the values and principles that were in XP explained really resonated with me and with a lot of other practitioners at the time, a lot of developers, and in particular, the sort of, a lot of the cultural elements, which were different from a lot of other books I'd read. I'd, I'd read other books about how to be better at programming and how to do better project management, uh, many of which I still think are fabulous books. Um, uh, Rapid Development by Steve McConnell's one. Um, Don't Flip the Bows a Bit, the book by Jim McCarthy is another one. Uh, that's not actually its title. That's the subtitle. I always remember the subtitle. Uh, but uh, this idea then of... of the particularly uh, the the cultural value that I remember the most from the XP book was courage, and uh, so I was thrilled when uh, in in this sort of age of my career, kind of the early two thousands, I was working at a company called uh, Agitar Software where we made uh, testing tools, and Kent Beck uh, ended up working with us, and in about two thousand six he did uh, a talk uh, that was sponsored by Agitar titled Ease at Work. And this was a very influential talk for me. And this whole the whole idea of what it means to be accountable for me changed when I watched that talk. And uh, the, so the, the framing of our chapter here on accountability was really, in a sense, shaped in 2006 <laughs> when I heard Kent Beck give this talk and we'll link to that to the talk in the show notes because it's up on on youtube it's broke up into several pieces but you can you can hear it mm. and, and the what really struck me um was kent beck talking about being accountable and the idea of uh, of 
making yourself accountable, choosing to be accountable, and how different this was from the way most people talk about accountability. Uh, uh, most people, I mean, you, I'm sure you hear this whole time when 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 you're consulting, when people use the word accountability, what do you usually hear people say? Well, they say, who can I hold accountable? This was terrible. We had an outage. The, we didn't make money. The, this project didn't work. Who's accountable? That's right. And and it goes along with things like whose feet can we hold to the fire mm. uh, uh, it, to make sure it gets done? And whose neck can we wring if it goes wrong? Like there's a, it's not like a punitive aspect for accountability, traditionally, historically. And there's two things that I never hear. And there's one I often say, but as we were preparing for this podcast, it had occurred to me there's two. One is, who can I hold accountable for this success? This was wonderful. Who's accountable? Who's the person who's accountable for this great thing that made us lots of money that um, made our customers happy? That's the one I don't hear. And then the other I don't hear is um, who's accountable at the top? Who's accountable for the, the project didn't go well, but who's accountable or the project did go well either way? And who's accountable in the leadership? Where's the leadership's accountability? It's often the accountability of the outsource vendor, the accountability of the uh, agile team, which is a valid point of view. We're, we're interested in accountability of all parties, but not necessarily the accountability of, say, the board or the accountability of the CEO. That's that's something you don't hear as much about. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. There's a, there's kind of an, an assumption that accountability is something that's from the top aiming down. Mm -hmm. And and that's what really was for me revolutionary about this uh, approach with, with Kent talking. And he, he talked about that accountable really was a kind of straightforward word. If you were accountable, what did that mean is you were obligated to render an account. That's very different. And there's a sense, no one can make you accountable just by your situation. You, you can say, I'm, I'm obligated to render an account. I'm part of this project. I should be telling people what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And, and this sounds so simple, it sounds so obvious, but it really struck me. And it, it had this similar kind of force. When I, when I look back uh, to myself as a, as a child, I remember uh, trying to avoid getting into trouble for things. And uh, in, in child development, young children don't really have a sense of, <laughs> of ethics and morals. And we teach children to lie when we imply that there's going to be punishment for, you know, what went wrong. When we look to hold them accountable, you know, okay, well, who was it who made the mess here? Uh, it was and, nobody. There was nobody. <laughs> there was that nobody person who came exactly. in here and nobody made the mess. Yep. Well, maybe, maybe a bird came in and did it, right? Mm. We, we, uh, there's a great uh, book called Nurture Shock uh, that talks about how we, we train children to lie uh, from this. And there's a, and it reminds me a lot of accountability, which is this idea of, um, punishment. And as children, we, you know, we, we don't have the ethics and morals, so we just, we'll make up a story because we, we, we think that'll make things better. You know, we, we will make, we'll, we'll make people happy. Uh, and then at some point I remember I had a, a, a momentary revelation, uh, as I was getting older, which was, you know what? I don't need to lie. Like if something goes wrong, at home, if there's if I if I'm cooking and I break a, a, a dish, I I should just clean it up. <laughs> and when I'm when I'm asked what happened, I can say, oh, I'm sorry, I was was doing this and I broke a dish and I've cleaned it up. <laughs> and it, it, this this may sound really silly, but as a as a child, when I when I had that sort of aha moment, it it really changed uh, my relationship with my parents and how I thought about things. Uh, and uh, suddenly, accountability at home 
wasn't uh, problematic. Get into the workforce and, and the sort of fear and tension that's brought in, uh, the implication that, uh, you know, well, we've really got to make sure things don't go wrong here <laughs> or, or someone's going to hold us accountable. And I yeah, had a Or at least of... that people don't find out how wrong it is. That oh, people yeah. don't find out. Yeah, that's the key thing. That's where you get to the lying. Exactly. And we, we talked in a podcast about green shifting, which is the, the which comes to the same idea. We're going to we're going to make things seem a little bit better than they really are. Yeah, it's not perfect, but, you know, we, we're largely on track and that becomes shifted as it goes up the up the chain of command until the people at the top are hearing everything is great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're definitely going to hit that deadline. And this idea to sort of placate people. Uh, and and so uh, I really uh, um, am thankful to Kent Beck for this idea of uh, that accountability is not something to be afraid of, but rather something to be embraced. And, and not something to be imposed by someone in control, but in fact, something that's shared between people who have a more commanding position and those who are executing both need to have accountability. And it's a moral obligation. It's not something imposed from the top. Yes. And, and I'll say, and I, I wanted to, as an individual, if, if I find that if I'm, if I, if I accept, if I take, if I demand my own accountability, then I suddenly feel like I'm much less vulnerable. I'm much less afraid. I don't need to worry about someone being trying to make me accountable. I'm already accountable. <laughs> and that's it to the fullest extent that I can be. And there's nothing anymore that someone can demand from me. And that has been tremendously helpful for me throughout my career uh, since, you know, since 2006. And it's something I try to help other people to adopt as well. And when they do they find it uh, very helpful. But as, as you were, as, as you and I were talking about this, the, that first message around the accountability is not just something that's top down. It's something that people at the top need to be accountable as well. That's the other major uh, idea in this chapter that I think is very different. Can you tell us a bit about that, about how that comes across in your work? Well, sure. And it's linked to what all that you were just saying, for example, your relationship with your parents, when you had that aha moment that you could explain about the dish, that they must have modeled for you some notion of effective accountability, because if you had only heard fear and loathing and, and um, catastrophe on the event of breaking a dish, that would have not created the psychological safety for you to be able to do that. So there was accountability. I'm sure they were accountable to you in some way um, for things that went wrong. That would be a very important thing to model to kids. I haven't read the, the book you referred to, but I, I imagine that's a, that's a message that would be in there. And similarly, I, when I'm coaching uh, people in leadership positions, I often find that their default position is that initial definition of accountability. Well, how do I hold them account accountable? Um, how do I make them render to me what they are doing, uh, render an account to me of what they are doing so I can correct it? And the first lesson that I often <laughs> work on with someone is uh, you are contributing to this situation and you are not modeling uh, the type of accountability that you would like to see. So why would you expect that you would have that level of accountability from them? And I had the most beautiful example recently, which I will appropriately anonymize, but I've just begun coaching someone who uh, um, is in a leadership position. And, uh, you know, you never get controlled experiments in coaching and <laughs> consulting generally. You never get right. to try one team that used test-driven development and one team that didn't, and then and they do the same project, and then you see who's better. Uh, I'd love to do that, but you only get to do that in academia. But this is almost a controlled experiment. So he has two teams beneath him that are working on two different activities. And he said, boy, Squirrel, they couldn't be more different. It's like night and day. 
there's one team, they're um, outperforming their goals, they're, they're going to complete everything for sure, plus extra. Um, when I talked to them about what it was that I wanted them to change and what I wanted them to do, they got it immediately. They um, had a useful, productive conflict with me. Uh, about which bits to do and where to start and so on. And we came out with a great plan and they're executing. They're super. And then there's this other group. And and of course, he was positioning it as their fault. Um, I would position it differently, I'd say. <laughs> there's the common manager. The common theme here is it's the same manager. It's the same guy. Um, so uh, there's something that's different in how he's uh, how he's treating them. And there's something different in his behavior. Um, but the the other team had uh, made many false starts, had not understood what he wanted them to do, kept doing uh, something that was quite different from what they wanted. And of course, uh, we talked about the techniques that are here in this chapter, which we won't go into in too much depth. They'll be in the show notes, but uh, things like briefing and back briefing, a way of making sure that you communicate clearly what freedoms and constraints and goals you have to the team, and then the team coming back to you and saying, here's how we're realizing that well before they get started. So you, you, you miss out a lot of the um, false starts and, and miscommunication. So we, we talked a lot about that, um, but the, the key insight that I uh, that I hope he got. I'll know when when he comes back for his next coaching session. Key insight I hope he got was that he needed to have accountability just as much as the teams did. And the thing that he hadn't done well with either team, and be, as we dealt into it, it became quite clear he had not given them a clear direction about what their constraints were and uh, what things they were not to do. Now the first team happened to figure it out because their uh, they they kind of got lucky, and they also had a, <laughs> a, 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 an approach that allowed them to uh, push back, discover the constraints, and, and find it out that way. The other team uh, worked in a perfectly reasonable way that just happened to be different and didn't work well with this manager because they just said, oh, well, he told us to do this. Well, he didn't tell us not to do it this way, so great. We'll do <laughs> the thing he told us, but we'll do it in this way that makes sense to us, and it, of course, wasn't okay with him. And that was a failing of him. That wasn't a failing of the team. Now, there was a failing of the team. There were things the team could have done to back brief better and to be more effective. But I'm coaching him. I'm not coaching them. And <laughs> right. what I wanted to help him to do, he said, and, and he had this great insight uh, partway through the conversations, one of those great aha moments. It's fun, uh, fun to watch when they happen. He said, uh, yeah, you know, when I've worked with teams before, I've always hired all the people. This is a team. This is one of the first times I've inherited a team. Mm. And I said, yeah, you probably unconsciously filtered for the sort of people who would work well without very many constraints and who would go and discover the constraints rather than just go off and, and do it their own way. You didn't get that here. You inherited this team. <laughs> and, what you, and, and you're going to inherit a whole lot more teams. He wants to um, be in a, a, a type his further career will involve a lot more of this type of activity. He's not going to be hiring his own teams forever. And therefore, he would benefit and he would be a better manager if he were able to take any team and help them to be effective, not relying on certain characteristics like the ability to discover constraints. So I think that was a great moment where, where uh, he realized and, and helped me to see the details of, of his responsibility in this situation to be more accountable. In this case, he can go back to the team and say, you know what? I haven't been very good at telling you what the constraints are. And I kind of assumed you'd figure them out, and that probably wasn't so good. Just like you going to your parents and saying, hey, you know, I was cooking dinner, and I'm not great at handling plates, and it was too hot, and I dropped it. 
he can do the same thing. And I think that will really build trust with his team. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to the results there. And, and if he's uh, able to explain constraints more clearly as a result of doing that and perhaps um, build a better relationship with them. I, I think that's a, a really a great story that really illustrates the situation well. Now, this this point we're talking about uh, here, you're describing constraints. And uh, we have talked about constraints in accountability before. We talked about briefing and back briefing, and we'll link to some of those uh, past podcasts in the show notes. And we're also linked to some related discussions around things like theory X and theory Y. And I, I think the what to me, the way these things tie together, it goes back to the default view of management, which is that, well, if things are going wrong in, in this team's project, well, it must be a problem with the team. <laughs> there, there must be something wrong with those people. And uh, I need to go and manage them. I need to go uh, hold them accountable and you know, make them sure that understand there's consequences for doing things wrong. And that totally misses people's motivation, which is that people want to, the projects to succeed. They, they care about them. Uh, being successful. And if there's problems uh, then uh, that the team aren't delivering, well, then there's probably something you can do, but it's it's not necessarily trying to make them want the project to succeed. It's probably figuring out more about what could you have done differently. And I will say that uh, idea, and that's for me, this is an idea that uh, it, I'm happy to be closing on this at the end of our series about the, the, the book, this idea of what could I be doing differently is in a sense the overall message of the book. If, 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 if I want the culture to be different, then I should look at my conversations and see how they can be different. If I want accountability, then I should be looking at to say, what could I be doing? And that's true no matter what role you're in. If you're the manager, then you should be saying, am I doing a good briefing? If I'm the person who's implementing, who's doing the work, then I should just say, am I being accountable? Am I doing a good back briefing? Am I radiating intent? Am, am I making it clear uh, what I'm intending to do? And so uh, that's, to me, it's in a sense, no surprise that our overall um, idea are, uh, that we can each take action to improve the situation uh, is true for the whole book. And it, it's true when it comes to accountability. Fantastic. All right. Well, we, we've been saying the book. I realized we didn't actually say what it is for anybody who's a new listener. That's Agile Conversations. And that leads me very naturally into what we um, previewed at the beginning, that um, there, there's lots of ways that you can engage with the ideas in this book. You can listen to our past 125 uh, podcast episodes. There, there's somebody who's doing that uh, with us and uh, very, very impressed that he's, he started at episode one. Absolutely welcome to do that. There's lots more free material on conversationaltransformation.com. But now there's also some other ways to interact with us. And we're um, listing some of those. Uh, and the most prominent one, the one that listeners might be particularly interested in, is that we're doing an online training. When, when we're all out, out of our houses, we'll go back to doing these things in person. But we're doing an online workshop on Friday, the 3rd of July at 2 p.m. UK time. So that's British standard time. That's going to be the morning for the US, for example. That's British, British summertime. British, yeah, whatever. Oh, yes, you're right. British. It is <laughs> summer. Yeah, we're recording this on the solstice. Um, so British summertime. And uh, that'll be the morning for the US and the afternoon, a little later in the afternoon for uh, Central Europe. So if you're interested in that or uh, several other things that you can do with us, uh, go have a look at conversationaltransformation.com. We've just got up a, a new page there with some of that information. Of course, it'll be in the show notes. 
And uh, of course, we also like hearing from you. So you can find us there, get in touch, join our mailing list, uh, write to us, join our Slack instance. There's lots of different ways to interact with us. And we like it when you hit the subscribe button in whatever app you're using, because we've been here every Wednesday for 125 episodes. I don't think we've missed very many. So we're looking to be here for another 125. And we hope that you're finding it useful. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.